Hi everyone, it's Bud, and welcome to the latest episode of Before the Cheering Started, all about the journey to success and professional fulfillment. This is a love story, and no, I'm not trying to be clever by saying it's a love story because the episode is with Darlene Love. But if you listen to Darlene Love's voice, how could it not be a love story? She's made wonderful music for 60 years. Her story is that much more compelling because she was out of the business for more than a few years, cleaning homes in California while her songs were still being played on the radio. I've been in love with Darlene Love from the first time I heard those amazing songs from the early and mid-1960s. He's a rebel. He's sure the boy I love. Wait till my Bobby gets home. And around this time of year, the classic that can't be heard enough, Christmas, baby, please come home. Do you ever get accustomed to walking into a place and hearing your voice, a grocery store, a supermarket, hearing your voice? That's a wonderful thing, because even I hear it. <laughs> when I go to, I have to drop by the, the grocery store to pick up things, you know, and I go, ooh, ah, there I am. <laughs> so it's all over the place this time of the, the year. And do you ever hear an old song and hear something in it that, oh, huh, I didn't remember that, or oh, that's something new. I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, that's that's different. That's all the time, because <laughs> you do, you know, because there's a lot of Christmas songs that you haven't heard in years, and but at that time, they, I think they try to go back as far as they can, and everything is familiar. You know what I'm saying? Take a little of this, and they take that out, and they take a little of this, and take that out, and it's oh, never thought about doing that. <laughs> So at your concert recently at Town Hall in New York, you got the Platinum record? A Platinum album presented to me by none other than my good friend, Bruce Springsteen. You know, I've never heard a roar like that in my life. (laughs) I've heard some roars. I've worked with some greats. But when I say Mr. Bruce Springsteen, it's almost like the, a storm came in. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> but but in that moment, I would imagine that he is just like any of the rest of us in the sense of being a huge admirer of your work and also as a musician, being tangibly affected by the work that you did so many years ago. And that and that effect never ends. It's not like, oh, okay, that was that. And the effect ends at a certain point. It, it gets into the music and you've affected the musicians like Bruce and Stephen Van Zandt for decades. Actually, Bruce actually told me years ago, he used to get lay down on the couch and play all of those old songs from the Phil Spector days. And not just the singers, but the whole record, you know, the music. And he just really gets into it. He just lays back and just fills itself with all of it. I was so humbled by that because that's the way I feel about him. And you don't realize they feel that way about you and your music. And it was that music at the time that we were making it that nobody was doing that kind of music. You know, it was just Phil Spector trying all these new things as the wall of sound came. And because we were recording in Gold Star, studios at the time in Los Angeles, California, and they had an echo sound, echo chamber actually downstairs in the basement. And Phil said, oh, let's try that. (laughs) (laughs) All the sound. (laughs) And that, I don't think you can 
fix that up no other kind of way when you're recording, except for if you were at Gold Star and using that equipment. Seemed to work out okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now they say about comedy or a joke that the death of comedy is trying to analyze why a joke is funny. It's just funny. But can you look at Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, the greatest Christmas song ever? And that's not opinion. That's fact. Uh, can you look at it or listen to it and say, okay, here's, if I had to analyze why it's such a great song, here's why. It's hard to analyze Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, because I think of that song as one of the greatest five records that we have done about Christmas with the music and the tempo. They can't find great tempo music, you know, where you really can get into it, like at a Christmas song. It's just, I can't think of, you know, more than four or five that has that kind of beat that you really want to jump to. And everybody, it reaches all over all ages, all black, white, pink, orange, gray, whatever. It reaches totally across. If they're not listening to me sing, they're listening to that music. Christmas, I understand everybody. I'm talking about Christmas music. It's not a ballad where you can feel all that, but it's the excitement of it. It's the feel of it, the need of it that we get at Christmas time. It's that, but it's also, even when it goes like the minor chords, <laughs> there's like a little element of sadness in there. It's, it's, it's all of it. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. I think that's why I say it's one of the greatest Christmas songs ever written. It's not just the record. It's everything that went into making that record. And Bruce, uh, which is wonderful, Paul Schaefer, uh, Stevie Van Zandt, they all think about that record like that. You know, because there's been a lot of great, great uh, Christmas songs, but not like that one that gets you really into it. As David Letterman says, it's not Christmas until I hear Darlene sing Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. And it's just one of those records. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. I, I once heard you say that you remembered recording that song perhaps more than others. First of all, is that indeed the case? And second of all, if so, why? Because it came along when nobody was doing anything like that. You don't, Christmas songs are sacred, even though people don't say that, but they are. They're sacred music. And for Phil Spector to take an original, I was even nervous. I said, Phil, you really want to put a, a new song on this record? He said, doll, it'll be great. And I go, well, okay, if you say so. <laughs> And who knew, as Cher said, 60 years later, they would still be playing this record. <laughs> it's like the uh, the old Duke Ellington line, two types of music, good and the other kind. Yes, and <laughs> exactly. Christmas, and Christmas Baby, Please Come Home is, is beyond good. It became, uh, it was always a staple for those of us who knew the music, but then it became a staple on television, thanks to Paul Schaefer and David Letterman. How did that come about? I was doing a show at the bottom line in um, in uh, New York, and it was one of those clubs everybody went to. No matter who was performing there, you just wanted to go to the bottom line. And we got in a rhythm of going to the bottom line. That's how I kind of really started because of Stevie Van Zandt. And at Christmas time, we were doing this show called Leader of the Pack, but it wasn't a Christmas show. But we would, that song, Christmas Baby, was in the show. And Paul Schaefer was playing Phil Spector. And... He enjoyed that place so much because of the music. He said, 
I'm going to invite David Letter down, David Letterman down. And David came to see the show. And out of all the songs that was in the show, it was only one Christmas song in that whole show. And it was today, uh, Christmas, baby, please come home. And David said on his show the next night, we have to get that girl on this show. That is the greatest Christmas song I've ever heard. And that one day went into 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay for me! No, there's there's some beauty in that because it it does become each year as a fan of Letterman and the show each year it, it there is a sense of home. Yeah, there's a sense of family about it because of course Darlene's going to do that song and she's doing it tonight. We got to watch. <laughs> uh, and even though you know the song backwards and forwards, well, you still got to watch because it's going to be special. And it's great every time I do it. You know, you, every entertainer has that question. Do you ever get tired of singing your songs? And I say, yes, some of them I do sort of get tired of, but I know you, my audience, don't. So I'm going to do them 150% every time I do them. Well, it's the same right. thing like Christmas, baby, please come home. It has been such a part of people's life. I just found out a couple of years ago, I have a family, four generations that comes to see my show. And they brought the little baby with them who must've been about eight or nine months old. And they had the earphones on her ear. And I said, wow, this, this is amazing. Four generations, you know, and across the line, I have a fan, but that comes here from Japan every year. She can't hardly speak English, but she is a darling love fan. And she, when BB Kings was open, she came every year for about 10 years to see my show. Then she started bringing people with her. Then she brought her husband with her and none of them speak English, but they knew that song. <laughs> so that- They can speak joy. Yeah, and that, that even makes me more happier, happier and more fulfilled that when I'm doing this, there are people from all genres coming to see my shows. And that's what fills my heart up. Now, you mentioned earlier this notion of doing a, a, a like a rock and roll song for songs that were usually considered sacred songs, Christmas songs. How about that growing up in your home, growing up that mixture of sacred and secular? Was it a mixture or was it all sacred and no secular? No secular in my house, not in my father's <laughs> house. <laughs> it was all sacred music. The all, We would go to Mahalia Jackson. We'd go Marian Anderson, you know, the old Broadway's music that they used to have on Broadway back in the 40s and the 30s. That kind of music played in my house. But it's because I had friends that love secular music. <laughs> That's the way I got involved in it. <laughs> So what was the music when you went to your friend's house? Do you recall what the music was? Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Sam, what about Sam Cooke? You send me. Hey. <laughs> we loved all of that music was great, but you just couldn't play it in my house. But you go to their house, there's no gospel or Christian music playing. It was just music that we listened to. Was it even up for discussion? Like as maybe you got a little older, was it even up for discussion like, Look, Pop, this, you know, this is, it's not sacrilegious. This is a beautiful song. Or was it like, don't even bring it up? Well, you know what? Little by little, especially after we got older, and now we're in junior high school, now we're in high school. It wasn't forbidden, 
but it wasn't that we listened to it as much as we listened to other kinds of music. I'll put it that way. And especially after I was uh, 18, when I joined the group, The Blossoms, and we weren't singing gospel songs, we were singing sex, secular music, but it was, it was, uh, we used to call it, they used to call it, you probably remember bubblegum music. Sure. Meaning for the young little kitties and you know, do run, 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 do run, run. And they said, what does that mean? I said, anything you want it to mean. <laughs> <laughs> it means people are listening to it on the radio. That's yes. what it means. And you know, we only had two stations that we could listen to, AM and FM. And plus they never played black music on the top 20 list. And the, the black music was never played or vice versa. You know, that wasn't until, oh my goodness, uh, I'm trying to remember when they started actually playing both black and white music together, but it just wasn't done even in that day. And I think that had a lot to do with the music that we listened to also. Were you listening a lot to the radio and music on the radio in the house or was that forbidden as well? Very little. When my, when my parents weren't home, we listened to it. <laughs> But we knew what time they were getting home. It's like, y'all better put them records up. <laughs> Was there any sense uh, you're, you're, you're listening to gospel music? Is there some sense of, well, you know, there's a lot of great music going on here and, and that's influencing me as well? Yeah. And, you know, I was the one that always asked questions. And in our church and in our home, and I'm sure in, in a lot of people's homes when we were coming up, you didn't ask questions. You just went along with your, whatever your parents said. But then, you know, when you get at your girlfriend's house, girl, did your father tell you you couldn't do such and such and such a thing? You said, child, and I did it anyway. <laughs> mm. But it was always questions about it. And plus, I loved a lot of the secular music. So I didn't see anything wrong with it. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of us was like that Sam Cooke, Mahalia Jackson, you know, all of those great singers back in the day. They loved a secular music. You just didn't perform it. You did your secular music. But now a lot of entertainers are like me. Secular and gospel is in my show. I tell a story right. about uh, Elvis Presley who won three Grammys and it was all for sec gospel music. Right. People are amazed when they hear those things. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know. But when I found out from Elvis's mouth that he won three Grammys and therefore gospel music. And he loved gospel music, loved it. I'm sure, I, I, I can't believe he's not a gospel singer. <laughs> the right. He really did love that music. So when you start getting more serious about music as a teenager, is there a discussion at home of, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, was there a different expectation for you from your family? Well, you know, it was the family and the church more than it was anybody because I was doing a television show. I wasn't living at home by then, though. I, you know, I was married and, and, and living a single life. And we were doing the television show Shindig. And my father and mother were very proud of the fact that their daughter was on a national television show. But the members of the church would kind of say to my father, I can't believe you're letting your daughter sing secular music. And my father's answer to them was, why were you looking at it? <laughs> <laughs> and I always remember that. See, they listen to it, but God forbid we're singing it. <laughs> so it, it happened at a great time in my life, the mixture of both. 
because I still went to the gospel singers and saw their programs and I saw the rock and roll pro people too because by then I was getting to be a part of it. So I right. had to sing it, which was fine. I never had a problem with both of those. I figured you can sing gospel and you can also sing secular. It's what kind of secular music are you listening to? Now, there was a group you probably remember back in the day who had a record out called Annie Had a Baby. Can't work no more. <laughs> That's the kind of music that they were saying we shouldn't be singing. Well, it wasn't my right. kind of music to sing anyway. Mine was do run, run, run. <laughs> so I wouldn't have sung it anyway. <laughs> when you start recording and you start hearing the songs that you are singing on the radio, uh, first of all, is there a initial reaction to that at home from your folks? Like, oh, maybe the secular music's not so bad, actually. Exactly. That's exactly what they did. That's, you know, that's great, God. You know, doll, everybody called me doll. That really sounds good. And it would sound like they would. <laughs> <laughs> but they really did enjoy it because, number one, they have a daughter now that people are talking about, you know, who's really making it big in the music business. So then it comes a little thing like, she's in the secular world, but she's always, she's also in the gospel world because I never really separated them because I always have a warm spiritual song in my show. And they, matter of fact, my husband also always says, if she doesn't get a standing ovation on anything, she will get a standing ovation on that gospel song she sang. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always fascinated talking to artists, musicians, writers, actors, and that notion of when you're involved with something that's great, and in your case, it's He's a Rebel, Wait Till My Bobby Gets Home, and so many other wonderful songs. Do you know, as you're in the process, are you able to step back and say, oh, I think we got something here, or is it all more of a mystery than that? No, it's not a mystery anymore. And the reason why I enjoy singing those songs, I tell my audience before I sing them, I used to sing each song individual. And I spread them out in the show. But now, working with Stevie Van Zandt, he had me to put all five of these songs together. And I put them in a medley. But what people don't know, the songs back then when we were recording them were only a minute and a half. That's how long the record is. And they had to put the time on it, else the disc jockey would not play it. So if you look on a lot of those old records, you'll see a minute, 30 seconds. And I can do all five of those songs in less than 10 minutes. And the audience love it. And the, the response of when they were done separately and when they were done together is totally different. They love it that I sing the whole song. So I never get tired of singing those songs because my audience loved them. They were like, you know, they, they love all the other things that I do, but I got to hear these two. Well, I think also there's, you mentioned it earlier, you know, that somebody might be seeing you for the first time. And there's the famous story from the great baseball player, Joe DiMaggio. They asked him, you know, how come you give 100% every time out? this long season and he said somebody's watching me for the first time i always believe that and people that don't do it ask me how do you do this every time you get on the stage i say well working for 10 people is different from working to ten thousand, but i still give those 10 
what I would give those 10,000. It it's doesn't, the difference is the applause and the loudness. But other than that, that 10 sometimes makes as much law, noise as a couple of thousand people. You know, and I always believe there might be somebody in the audience that can take you somewhere else. And it happened to me, Lethal Weapon. I wasn't acting nowhere when the casting director saw my show. And he said, would you be interested in being in a movie with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover? But suppose I would have been one of those days. I just said, well, you know, I really don't feel it today. Uh, this is my right. D show, not my C show or B show. <laughs> it's going to be my A show. But my A show is always up here. I'm going to do the best I can do every time I hit that stage. And it's worked for me. <laughs> yeah. And also, when he asked that question, would you like to be in a movie with Danny Glover? Uh, I'm imagining the answer is, yes, I think I'm available for that, actually. It was. Yeah. Oh, come on. You see, you're just bull, you know. <laughs> but I said, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? And it was really the truth, which was amazing to me because I'd never acted before. But they were looking for an actress, who, a, a singer or anybody that wasn't well known as a black actress. They wanted somebody different. Ta-da! <laughs> you know, one of the beautiful parts of your story in, um, and the fact that it's lasted for so long and the music has meant so much to so many of us for so long is that it wasn't always just a steady rise up uh, you know, an ascent without any hills or valleys. And I'm curious, in those years when you're making all the records, did you expect it to last forever? Or was there some notion of, oh, the music business is changing now and I'm going to enjoy this while it lasts and, you know, there may be hard times to come? Well, I was never a believer it's going to be this way all the time. That it, it, That's not logical. But at least you ride that that curve where it's not hard breaking or you down so far down, you can't get back up. I always had that. And when I couldn't find any work and it was only because I was going from a single artist, going from a group artist to a single artist. And that was the hard part because who would know who Darlene Love is? That song was recorded by the Crystals. Uh, that song was recorded by the Ronettes or Bobby Sox and the Blue Jeans. So I had a lot to fight on the way up, even though they knew it was me. They couldn't advertise me as a Crystal because I wasn't a Crystal. So all I wanted to do at that time is find something to do that would keep my head above water. And the only thing I could think of at that time was to do day work. My grandmother did it. My mother did it. And they made a great living doing that. I said, like, you know what? Until I can get where I'm going, I'm going to do this. But I can't never be so down that I won't do anything. You know what I mean? I'm saying where I can do whatever I can do to hang in there until my career can get going again. And that's the thought I always kept. I knew I was going to get there again, but I didn't know how or when. Where do you think that comes from? The knowledge as you're cleaning homes in California, the knowledge that you knew you would get there again. Is that um, kind of an inspiration from growing up, from your folks, from somebody from, else along the way? It is from my folks because I always believe there's a, a scripture in the Bible that says your ladder will be greater than your past. And I always say that to myself. I, and, I, and what I was doing was great and it was fun. And I worked with some gigantic stars and the whole idea I dropped from that was like devastating, but I didn't let it take me over. 
you know, I thought about it for a while or a month or two or whatever. And I said, uh-uh, this is not it. Your ladder will be gated. And that's a promise from God. So I just said, hey, I'm going to keep you to that promise. You said my ladder would be greater. And I always thought about it. So as I was cleaning, I cleaned that house. Maybe they couldn't see no dirt nowhere. I mean, I cleaned it. <laughs> and it was. The, and when I told the lady I was quitting, she said, oh, no, no, no. What can I do to keep you here? I said, honey, I got something else to do, and I got to go do it. <laughs> now, is the story, we've heard the story many times about you hearing your own voice while you were cleaning. You're, uh, you've told it many times. Where was it? Around what year are we talking about? And what was the song that you heard? We're talking about in the 80s, 81, 82. And I was in Beverly Hills. I had just gotten this job as a cleaning a, a lady. And I went to her house, not hoping that she didn't know who I was. And uh, they showed me my duties, what I was supposed to do there. And after a couple of weeks of being there, I was humming and, you know, cleaning the bathroom, the kitchen, whatever. And Christmas Baby, Please Come Home came on the radio. That exact song. And I heard it coming down from the hall. Somebody was playing music and I heard it and I immediately just stopped and I went, I said, you're so funny. <laughs> actually, and I actually laughed, right? You know what? This is it. I'm going. And I quit that day. You tell the woman, like, that, that's me on the radio, I by did. the way? I did, although she didn't believe me because my name at that time was Darlene Mitchell. So, you know, and I'm cleaning her house. Who could that be on the radio? I, well, I don't know what happened to her years later, but she realized she did have me cleaning her house. When you come to New York and you're doing Leader of the Pack and then you're doing Letterman and then the movie and things really get rolling again, was there a greater appreciation for <laughs> It music? was a greater appreciation, you know, that you can't take anything for granted. I never thought I'd be down and out and broke and, you know, just nothing. I knew I had a talent. So I couldn't use my talent where I was. I can only use it where God sent me and where I know I was supposed to be. And I always appreciated it. You know, I didn't feel like I was this gigantic, fabulous star that you ought to have. hire me. You know, I always appreciated everything that came to me. I did not take it for granted. So that made me even work harder. You mentioned leader of the pack earlier on and I'm not embarrassed to admit that I think I saw it three or four times uh, at uh, the bottom line. And, and that wasn't even enough. And it was such a beautiful, exciting review of a show. And and you were front and center in that. And is there a moment there where are you thinking, wow, this is really exciting. And I think this is going to really lead to a lot of things and really work. Or was there any element of doubt of like, is this really going to happen? Well, it did, because that was like the first big job I had had, you know, since I wasn't doing, wasn't singing anymore. And I said, you know what, I this has got to take me somewhere else. So that's why I knew I had to stick with it through. It's one of those through thick and thin, you know, to the end. I have made myself a promise and I made God a promise that I am not going to quit. And every time somebody sees me, they say, how do you do this? How can you at 82 still sing the way you do? I said, because I made a promise and I was going to stay on this until I was satisfied. And I'm not satisfied yet. <laughs> mm. 
Rumor has it that uh, voice rest and uh, water at room temperature. Yes, really that's yeah? thing my throat doctor told, tells me. I wish I could tell my patients how you take care of your voice because, you know, back in the day, we didn't have any money to go to no voice coach or anything like that. As I got older and I needed to see a, a voice doctor, you know, I said, but I've always got plenty. When I was on Broadway doing eight shows uh, a week and I never was out. I was out one week one time because I was having vocal problems, but that in almost three years, the only time I was out of that show. And I want my life to be like that. I want to be so, I couldn't go out as I call them, the kids, because I was about 20 years old and all of them. <laughs> I said, oh, y'all go and hang out, honey. I got to go home. And from that time I leave the theater till almost the next day, I was on voice rest. I think voice rest is a great thing. You can use it as a tool if you don't want to speak to someone. I used to get in the car on the way to the next gig and go, when they see me, I'd go. <laughs> and they, For our audio listeners, you zipped your lip there. <laughs> From those early years, growing up in the home that you grew up in, going to church, going to your friend's house to hear the secular music, are there any lessons from those early years in that first real taste of, wow, I'm a professional musician and I'm doing these sessions in LA and wow, this record we made is going to be on the radio. Are there any lessons from those years that you think you still apply today? Yes. Number one, I never took any of that back in those days for granted. And even as a background singer, I got more work because I was so professional about it. I got to work on time. I was there on time. I knew what I was supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? Learning your scripts or whatever. I was there and they, and people really recognized that. Even to the point, my doctor appointments, they say, Miss Love's appointment is at two o'clock. Come on, you guys. She's going to be here on time. She's not going to be late. Not that they're ready for me, but it's that, well, you, why are you getting there early? They're not going to be ready for you. It's in me. And whatever I do, but is to do the best I can do it and never fail to fail to sit back on my laurels, as they say, and say, hey, you know what? I got it made, baby. Got it going on here. Everything right now is wonderful for me. I have three sons that I pray for all the time. They're all doing fine. And, you know, there was that time if you got children that you didn't think they were going to make it. <laughs> but they did it. But mine from my father was always a a professional thing. My father would go to church on Sunday mornings, wouldn't be nobody there but him and the piano player and his children and wife. And my father would start church at 10 o'clock and wouldn't be nobody there. And I think sometimes I take that a little literally, you know, literally, and I go, oh, daddy, you know them people ain't gonna be there till 11? Say, I don't know, I said 10 o'clock and I'm gonna be there, we are gonna start at 10 o'clock. That has always been, and even my husband laughs at me a lot of times. We're supposed to be there at 10 o'clock. We got to be there. At and you can't be there at 10 and go to work. That's what I tell people. You're supposed to be working at 10. You can't arrive at 10 and do what you have to do because at sessions, we had to say hello to everybody. And that was during the days we were all smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. You, and I've always made it a point. And if anything anybody knows about me, I am an on-time person. <laughs> Well, Darlene, there are days when things are not going so great or for whatever reason, I'm in a particular mood. And all I have to say is let's listen to wait till my Bobby gets home. And 
there's a smile coming five seconds later. And I know there, I'm not alone. There are millions of us and I'm, I, I, uh, the beauty of uh, a creative work like music is that somewhere, somewhere, somebody is listening to those songs and your later songs as well for the first time. Yeah. And in that sense, it's not old music or new music. It's just great music. music great music. That's beautiful. Beautiful said. That's me. <laughs> as always, thank you, Darlene. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. God bless your family. Darlene Love. She's featured on Cher's debut Christmas album that includes a duet of Christmas Baby Please Come Home, and the two old friends performed the song together for the first time at the lighting of the Rockefeller Center Christmas Tree. Before the Cheering Started is a production of June 14th Productions and Gemini 13 Productions. This episode was created and written by me. Guitar playing, that's me as well. No extra charge. I'm Bud Mishkin. And this is Before the Cheering Started. Thanks for joining us on the journey.